Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I want you to picture a geisha. Who do you imagine? Somebody who is elegant and graceful, demure, sophisticated. You can't really imagine a geisha doing something violent, something really coarse, unrefined. Well, can you imagine a geisha strangling her married lover to death during sex? But wait, that's not all. After she strangles him, she checks that he's dead and she sleeps with the body for a couple of hours, cuddling with her lover's corpse. And before she leaves, she wants a memento, a souvenir of their time together. So she cuts his penis and testicles off. That's right, it was a full castration. And using the blood from the amputation, she writes their names on his left eye and on the bed sheet, and she also carves her name into his arm for good measure. Which is also, by the way, a terrible idea because, you know, you'll probably get caught. <laughs> and after that, she wraps his genitals in some magazines and then she tucks it away in her kimono. And she leaves. Hi. I'm Teddy, and welcome to A Briefcase. Today, I'm covering the case of Abe Sada, a Japanese geisha turned prostitute who killed her lover and then cut off his penis. Abe Sada was born on 28th May 1905. Her family owned a tatami mat business and they lived in the Kanda neighborhood in Tokyo, Japan. So they were reasonably well off. So it was pretty common back then to have a ton of kids because you know the mortality rate was, wasn't that great. And it was very useful to have kids to help out with the business. The family had a total of 8 children and Sara was the second youngest, so she was number 7. But by the time everybody was an adult, only four kids made it through their childhood. And Sada was the youngest child to make it through. So half the kids of the Abe family died. Also, because she was the youngest child who survived, I think, she ended up being quite babied by her mom, who let her do whatever she wanted. So, for example, she let Sada take up singing lessons and play the shamisen, which at that time, both of these weren't hobbies for, you know, respectable girls. These were like hobbies for geishas who are still classier but also in the service industry and prostitutes who are technically also just doing their job, right? And I think part of it was that she wanted to be like the geishas who are the celebrities of that time. So she would skip school to go to her shamisen lessons, she would wear makeup and around the time that Sara was a teenager, the Abe family, they started having problems. 
her older brother, Shintaro, he was a womanizer. So he would basically sleep around and after getting married, he literally stole his parents' money and ran away. And it wasn't just one sibling that was, you know, stirring shit, you know. Her older sister, Daruko, was also known to sleep around. So there's something going on with this family, just saying. And if you know anything about older Asian societies, you know that they're not really the biggest fan of sexual liberation or promiscuity. So what's really interesting is that as punishment, right? So it's a bit ironic. As punishment, she was sent to work in a brothel, which is a bit like, you know, when you get caught smoking and your parents force you to finish the entire pack. But instead, it's like, oh, you like sex so much. Why don't you, you go have sex for money? But eventually, this wasn't like a big deal back then. The oldest sister was brought back and actually got married off after this period of time. But because of all the turmoil that was happening at the time, her home life was a bit messy and Sara started spending more time outside and spending time with groups of teenagers who were also having issues at home. And during one of these outings with the group, she was raped by somebody, one of the guys in the group. And while her parents initially defended and supported her, she just became more and more difficult, I think because she had such a traumatic experience. And instead of being understanding about the difficult situation that happened. When she was 17, they ended up selling her to a geisha house in Okia in Yokohama. Now, there's differing accounts on what happened. So her parents said that they did this to help her find a place in society. And her other elder sister also said that this is something that Sara wanted to become a geisha. But Sara herself said that being sent to the Okia was punishment for being raped, for being promiscuous, something like what the parents did with her older sister. Now, Sarah didn't really have a good time at the Okia. She had a really disappointing time. So if you've read like Memoirs of a Geisha, which is technically fiction, or Geisha of Gion, which was written by Mineko Iwasaki, who was at one point of time the most famous Geisha in Japan, but the key point is that usually, if you want to become a famous, established geisha, you have to apprentice in all the skills like singing and dancing and even conversation from the time that you're a child, especially to make the kind of connections you need to excel in the geisha world, like connections with geisha trainers and with tea houses and all that. But then Sada entered in her late teenage years. It's like 17 isn't old by any standards, but it's quite old to start being a geisha. So she never became like an elite famous geisha. So she was quite low ranking for most of her career. And I'm not sure if this is typical, so any Japanese listeners can let me know. But as a low ranked geisha, apparently one of the tasks that she was assigned to was to have sex with clients. So this basically sounded like prostitution with more steps, right? After about five years, she got syphilis. Now, at the point of time, syphilis wasn't curable, but it could be controlled. But because she had syphilis, now she had to get checked regularly, which was also a regulation for prostitutes back then. So, ah. And so she thought about it and she was like, nah, I'd rather be a prostitute than a low-ranking geisha because it will pay so much better. She moved to Osaka to work in a brothel in the Tobita Brothel District. 
but she was not a great prostitute. So she would steal money from clients and then try to leave. And you also get the vibe that she wanted out. But after two years, she managed to escape her brothel and start working as a waitress. But being a waitress obviously paid a lot less. Lah. So by 1932, she goes back to working as a prostitute, but this time in an unlicensed brothel. In 1932, her mom died, and Sara traveled back to Tokyo to visit her grave and to check in on her dad. And it's a bit unfortunate, but after her mom died, her dad got sick as well, and she stayed in Tokyo and started working there as well. But the whole time, she took care of her dad until he died. Sara continued working as a prostitute for unlicensed brothels after that, but she was arrested in October of 1934, so about 10 months later. But lucky for her, there was somebody who liked her. There was a married man called Kinosuke Kasahara. So he didn't just bail her out. By December 20th, he got her nice and set up in a house and even became an allowance. So she basically became his mistress. And what's interesting is, according to him, Sara was insatiable. To quote Kinosuke, he would say, She wasn't satisfied until we did it two, three, four times a night. To her, it was unacceptable unless I had my hand on her private parts all night long. End quote. So, Sara wasn't happy just being a mistress though. She wanted Kinosuke to leave his wife for her. And he was like, nah, I'm not gonna leave my wife. And she was like, okay, how about I take on another lover? And he was like, nah. So they were kind of at an impasse and then they broke up. After the breakup, she left Tokyo for Nagoya. And I think also because she wanted to avoid her ex. Yeah, <laughs> we can get that. When she was in Nagoya, she tried to leave the sex industry again. So she started working as a maid in a restaurant. And while she was working as a maid, she meets Goro Omiya. So Goro Omiya was a banker and a professor. Very educated, very fancy. And one of his aspirations was to join the Diet, the Parliament of Japan. They started a relationship, and at that point of time, she was bored with Nagoya. And she kind of knew that the restaurant she was working for wouldn't tolerate one of their employees, like, sexing up the customers, you know? So she returns to Tokyo, and in Tokyo, she meets Goro Omiya again. And it feels like he really likes her a lot, because he pays for her to stay in a hot springs resort, for three months, from November 1935 to January 1936. They meet up again in January and Goro Omiya suggests that, okay, why don't you apprentice for a restaurant to get the lay of the land and eventually you can start your own restaurant so you can be financially independent and don't have to work as a prostitute, right? And so she does, because I mean, Goro Omiya is a smart man who gives good advice. Starting from January 1st, 1936, Sara apprentices at the Yoshidaya restaurant. So she was about 31 years old then, so not old at all. And she was technically apprenticing under a 42-year-old man, Kichizo Ishida. Now, although Kichido was technically the quote-unquote boss of the restaurant, he was kind of a lousy business owner and a lousy husband. And most of it was actually run by his wife. And instead of running his restaurant, Kichizo spent his time running after women. So Kichizo and Sara, they have sex for the first time 
inside the restaurant itself. And apparently, there might have been other people in the restaurant too because there was a geisha singing while they were fucking, according to sources. And after the first time, on April 23rd, about two months after they met, they made another plan to have a quick fling in a machai. So a machai, from what I could find, is a kind of tea house, old school love hotel in the Shibuya neighborhood. And their quick fling, they ended up staying in bed for four days. But wait, they weren't done. After the four days, they apparently moved to another tea house in a further neighborhood and continued drinking and fucking. And apparently the maids would come into the room to like serve more sake, right? And they would just continue going at it. So I'm not sure if the maids were like really awkward, like, oh, here's your sake, goodbye. And after that, they moved to yet another tea house. So they moved to three different tea houses, you know, for the experience. And in total, their quick fling, sex, drinking, bender lasted for about two weeks. Like, Sarah was hooked on that dick. So one of the things that she said was, quote, I have never met such a sexy man, end quote. So she became really obsessed with him. She would just think about his wife and just ruminate in her jealousy, she'd be like, oh, I'm so freaking jealous. And she was so jealous that she wanted to kill him. And I think it was something like, if I can't have him to myself, no one can. And in fact, on 9th May 1936, she goes to watch a play where a geisha attacks her lover with a knife. She gets so inspired by this play that on the 11th, she sells a bunch of her clothes and buys a kitchen knife. And it's probably a really good kitchen knife because I think like a regular IKEA kitchen knife is like $6. But I did some googling and a professional Japanese kitchen knife, they start at like 100 and can go up into like the thousands. So she met Kichizo that night and she took out her knife and she threatened him. And apparently he was startled but not too upset by it. And he was like delighted by what she did. I'm not too sure what he was thinking, but if your girlfriend or boyfriend or partner takes out a kitchen knife and waves it at you and threatens you, I, I think that's a very big red flag, you know? Maybe you should run in the other direction really quickly. So instead of running far, far, far away, they go back to one of the tea houses that they had their quote-unquote quick fling in. So another red flag, okay? While they were having sex, she takes the knife and she places it against the base of his penis, which is very scary. And then she she says, I'll make sure you never play around with another woman again. And again, instead of running away, he laughs. So this isn't a one and done deal. By the second day, they were still together. And during sex, Sarah started choking him. Like she used the, the belt that holds the kimono together, the obi, to choke him while he was, you know, finishing. I guess because of this case, I learned something new. So this is called autoerotic asphyxiation and apparently it's not as unusual as expected. Mm? And they did this to each other for two hours and it feels like they went a bit too hard on this because once they were done, Kichizo's face was still messed up and he was in quite a bit of pain so he took like a bunch of sedatives or painkillers and as he was falling asleep he said something that i guess could be interpreted as a joke 
So he said, You'll put the cord around my neck and squeeze it again while I'm sleeping, won't you? And if you start to strangle me, don't stop because it's so painful afterwards. End quote. So it sounds like he, he expected her to strangle him, which she did. So on 18th May 1936, at around 2am, Sara took her obi and she strangled the sleeping Chichizo until he was dead. After killing him, she kind of lay down with him and she herself said that she felt like a weight had been lifted from her shoulders and she felt very clear about what she wanted to do. She lay with his corpse for a few hours and again, she wanted a memento of her time with him. And she said she couldn't take his head because, you know, how hard is it to carry a whole head around? And obviously, she couldn't just lug his body around for a souvenir because, again, it's a whole body. But you know what? She wanted to keep the part that gave her the best memories, the most vivid memories. So she cut off his penis and testicles she wrapped them in a magazine and then she wrote Sada, Kichi, together on his left eye with his, I guess, penis blood. She also wrote it on the bed sheets and then she used a knife to carve her name into his arm. So I'm not sure if she lost her own underwear or if this was another sexual memento kind of thing, right? But she put on his underwear and at about 8am, she left. She doesn't immediately go on the run though. She found some time to meet Omiya. So remember Omiya Goro, the one who told her to apprentice at a restaurant? So she kept apologizing to him. And at that point of time, he thought that it was because she took on another lover. But it's because, you know, she killed someone and him having been associated with her would have been political suicide and he would probably not be able to join the Diet. The days after this murder, she kind of lived life as usual, but I think she knew she would eventually get caught and she was planning to commit suicide after a week. The immediate day after, on the 19th, she went shopping and she watched a movie. The day after, she moved into an inn in Shinagawa and she had a massage and drank three bottles of beer. She also wrote goodbye letters to Omiya, another friend, and I guess to Kichizo. Which is a bit odd because he's technically dead, but I guess it's more of a farewell on her part. Remember the penis? She still had the, the penis with her. So apparently she put it in her mouth and she also tried to have sex with it, like, you know, a dildo. But... It's a rotting, decomposing penis, so like, it just didn't work. Anyway, she kind of moved on and she was going to jump from Mount Ikoma in Osaka with like, while holding on to his penis. But alas, her plans were interrupted. At around 4pm that day, the police knocked on her door because apparently the fake name that she gave at the inn was suspicious. And when she opened the door, she didn't even try to hide it. She was like, Hey, you're looking for Sada Abe, right? Surprise! It do be me. I am Sada Abe. So I think because it was too easy, because she admitted it herself, the police didn't initially believe her. They were like, no way. But then she showed them the penis and they were like, oh dear, okay. And they brought her in. Now, it seems that there was really something about Sada Abe. Like this case was a national sensation. 
Even the judge himself admitted to being like sexually aroused by the case, but apparently he made sure that the case was held with utmost seriousness. The trial started on 25th November 1936 at 5 a.m., and there were crowds gathering to watch and listen to the case. It ended on 21st December, and Sara was convicted of the murder and mutilation of a corpse. The prosecution demanded for 10 years, and Sara, you know, she was already planning to commit suicide. She was like, oh, how about the death penalty? But in the end, she was sentenced to just six years in prison. And on November 10th, 1940, during the celebration of the founding of Japan, her sentence was commuted. So she was released from prison on 17th May, 1941, just five years after her murder. Now, there were a couple of books written about her, and an author, Ichiro Kimura, wrote a book called The Erotic Confessions of Abe Sara. So she also wrote her own autobiography, Memoirs of Abe Sara, and she also sat for interviews with magazines. And at one point, she like really capitalized on this, and she starred in a one-woman stage production. So for the next 20 years, she worked in a neighborhood restaurant and even got a Model Employee Award. She even appeared in the documentary History of Bizarre Crimes by Women in Meiji in 1969. But that's also kind of the same year that the last known photograph was taken of her. And after that, she kind of disappeared. But apparently, there was this year that they were making a, a dramatized movie about the murder. And the director went looking for her and he found her in a Kansai nunnery. So we don't know what happened after that. But that's probably where she lived out the rest of her life. Thank you listeners for tuning in. And as always, thanks for listening to this week's episode of A Briefcase Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at A Briefcase Podcast or online at abriefcasepodcast.com. And do join us next week for another brief case. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work.